In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. The opening lines to a beautiful story. A story about us and God. It all began with an empty slate. A world without form. He was there, hovering over the waters. And he spoke. Let there be light. And it was done. He took the light and separated it from the darkness, creating day and night, and the stage was set. With the light and dark separated, he went to create the sky by dividing the water, and the land by pulling it out of the sea. Next was life, plants, trees, flowers, grass. He saw his work, and it was good. He continued. He added skies filled with birds and oceans filled with fish, lands filled with animals, and something more. He gave his first commandment to go and make more. So the earth was filled with life. And then the story zooms into us. He created this garden stage, this platform for something. Scooping his hands into the earth, he formed a human in his own image, man. But something separated this man from the rest of creation. Something simple, something breathed, something called life. And so, y'all, I'm, I want to welcome you again to Church on the Trail. I'm so thrilled that you're here. God has got you here for a reason. Um, I hope it. I hope that this message will speak to you. And we're we're in week two of this series called Origins. And last week and this week, really very different kinds of messages than I've ever preached anywhere. Uh, and so, I want you to bear with us as we as we did it last week and, and this week it's a little um, I'm not preaching science you know I'm preaching the Bible I'm not trying to prove things necessarily with science but there would be a little science in it uh, I, I'm, I want us to over the co- last week this week and in the coming probably five or six weeks we're digging into the text of the scriptures and the scriptures are going to speak and I said this before if the scripture speaks to science it's accurate But it's not a science book. If the scripture speaks to history, it's accurate. But it's not a history book. If it speaks to sociology or anything, it is accurate. But the scriptures or the Bible is not an exhaustive history of every event that has ever happened on the planet. Don't put that burden on the text of the Bible because that's not what it is. But where it speaks and the issues that it speaks to... It is trustworthy and inerrant and infallible. And so I lay that kind of over the top of this conversation and say the argument that I'm making is not necessarily a scientific argument, but when I'm going to speak to science, it's going to be accurate because it's going to be coming from the Scriptures. And so there's going to be a little bit of science, and y'all, there are going to be a few little big words, but we'll talk through that. I'm trying. I don't want it to be. This is not a science class, and I don't want it to be a science class. I'm not a scientist. I'm a pastor and a, and a Bible uh, teacher. And so we're going to look 
again this week, kind of in part two of the introduction from last week. And we're going to look in Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look in a little bit, beginning of Genesis chapter 2. And I mean, y'all, last week we spent 30 minutes on one verse. 35 minutes on one verse that sat up on the screen the whole time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1, chapter 1 of the first book in the Bible. And so Susan, my wife, said to me something uh, this early in the week, last week. And we were talking about this series, and I bounce stuff off her all the time, and I said, did I get too technical last week? And she, you know, she just kind of, not really, but she said, you need to talk about, you need to tell people why we're doing this. And so here it goes. This is why we're doing this. You know, why are we way back on the, at the very beginning of the way on the left side of that Bible? The why is this, y'all, there's two buckets of people. Sitting here today, there's two buckets of people. Out there in the world, there's two buckets of people. There's one bucket of people that would say that, that if you're in that bucket that you would say that you're a Christian, that at some point you got saved. You may not even understood really what that meant, but you got saved and you're somewhere in a Christian walk. You maybe you just got saved last week and you're what we would call a baby Christian or maybe you've been a believer for 20, 30 years and you're, you're way down this road of spiritual maturity. And then the other bucket of folks is people that that would not say that they are a Christian. And, and of course, that's okay. If you're, not, if you're in a place in your life where you're looking for the truth, where you're searching for the truth, honestly now searching for the truth, but you hadn't found it yet, well, okay, we love you just as much, and we would be so honored to play some part, some role in conveying the truth claims that this Bible makes. Just some part, some role in conveying some of the truths from the Scripture for you. So, looking at those two buckets of people, for the Christians that are here, the reason that we're doing this series is we want to arm you with biblical truth so that you can defend the faith, so that you can defend yourself in a conversation. And I don't mean defend like you're fixing to punch somebody out. I'm talking about you can have an intelligent conversation with somebody because, again, God doesn't ask you to check your brain at the door. So we want to arm you with truths, scriptural truth, that you can defend yourself, that you can know what it is you believe and why you believe what you believe and have a way to articulate what it is that you believe. And if, you're, if you are not a Christian, if you're in that other bucket today, I do this, we do this in the hope that you will at least consider the truth claims that the Scripture makes at least as much as you would consider the truth claims that anything else makes. Just consider it. That's what the ask is. And so today, does that make sense? That is why we're doing this. And so today we're going to dig into a term that we talked about last week called theistic evolution. You know, we hammered evolution a little bit last week. And, and I'm, I'm going to hammer it again today because it's a lie. And so I'm going to hammer it some. And so we're going to look at what theistic evolution is. And it's in simple terms, theistic evolution would, would be a, a, someone who would say, yes, I believe in God, God began it, and then he handed the ball over to evolution, and evolution took it from there. Y'all, the Bible opens with a ginormous statement. The first ten words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. With those ten words, the Bible affirms the existence of the universe 
and everything in it as the product of God's creative act. Those are big, big words. We see in that verse that evolution, which has dominated scientific theory for the last 150, 60, 70 years, is not true. What exists, exists not because it evolved, but because God created it. And so last week, we talked a little bit, and we injected some scientist language in there, um, that, and we, we, we came away with that evolution is really not reasonable, that it is not rational, that it's really not a logical conclusion to come to from the best evidence. One of the reasons is that a mutation in an organism doesn't make it better. Y'all, a mutation makes it worse. Always. It spirals down. It was over 120-something years ago, Louis Pasteur proved that, that spontaneous life just can't occur naturally. It can't just naturally occur. A cell, y'all hear this now, a cell can't increase its complexity itself. A cell can't add information necessary in its DNA or in its genetic code to move it to a higher level. It's impossible. It's never been done. It's never happened. Nothing mutates up. Things mutate down. And I'm not saying that adaptation doesn't occur. Of course, things adapt to their environment. But they, the, the adaptation is within some hard-coded parameters. And where's the code? The code's in the DNA. It's in just genetic information that sets up those parameters. If you look at, if you've ever studied Charles Darwin, and you've studied evolution, which if you went to public school, you did. Um, if you look at when he went to the Galapagos Islands, and he studied the finch bird, little bird on the islands, as the as the, the dry seasons came and lasted longer, the finches' beaks, generation after generation, would grow a little bit longer so that they could dig a little deeper to get the grubs or the worms or whatever, whatever finch food they eat on the, on the islands. But are you telling me to believe that if that, if that, uh, that dry season, if they had a sure enough drought and, and it lasted for 25 years or something, that, that a finch that's this big would have a beak that's that long? No. I mean, we know that that's absurd. There's, I don't know what it is, say that the finch's beak, hard-coded, is between a half an inch and an inch and a half. Who knows? Are you asking me to believe that if that dry season lasted and lasted and lasted, that that finch would then become like an anteater? That the species would change so that it could get... No, that's not how it works. Mutations don't improve a species. They're negative, and in, invariably they die off. So natural selection, uh, Darwin's natural selection, spirals things down. No species is capable of moving up because the, it can't access new information. And so, yeah, it's true, species die out. Of course they do. Frankly, millions of species uh, have died out in the world, and the thousands of, of species that become, at least scientists say, that become extinct every day. There were more species than there are now. There were dinosaurs. It may have been other kinds of apes and, and other kinds of mammals as species and insects and birds and snakes and, and creatures of the sea and all that. And they, they died out and they may look like there are links between various species, but there has never been one shred of proof 
that one species can become another kind of species. We said that last week, that the missing link is still missing. There is, not, there is zero evidence that one species becomes another. On the other hand, we don't need evolution to explain anything because we just read in Genesis 1-1 how it all happened. Well, okay, people will ask, and it's a popular view today, with people professing believers, okay, this is a popular view. They would say, but couldn't God, and we acknowledge God, and we say that He is the Creator, and we believe in Him, um, but couldn't He uh, have just used evolution after creating the original matter, the original stuff? Couldn't God have used evolution in the sense of theistic evolution like we talked about a minute ago? And y'all look, what I, wanted, I read this in one of these guys' books, and it sounds so good. And don't you know that, that deception doesn't look like deception? When you're being deceived, you don't know that you're being deceived or you wouldn't be deceived, right? Satan doesn't come at you with a pitchfork and a red cape you know, and horns on his head. He comes at you in the form of things that look good or taste good or sound good. That's the nature of deception. So listen to how good this sounds. And it sounds so believable and we can say, oh yeah, that, that way I can reconcile this conflict in my head. Listen to this. He says, couldn't God have created the clay? And just let evolution mold it into the beautiful, wondrous sculpture we call life. That sounds so good. Well, guess what? No! No! God couldn't have used that evolution because evolution doesn't work. Evolution is not true. It's impossible. Evolution assumes that matter, that stuff, can organize itself up. That it can organize itself upward and not downward. Scientist named A.E. Wilder Smith, brilliant scientist, he said that the necessary information to build a man doesn't reside inside the stuff that composes a man. You can't, in other words, you can't explain man even by the components of that man that you can reduce, in, uh, that you can reduce him to in a lab. It's information. In other words, you can take the flesh and the bones and, I, and, and if you could take it out of me and throw it in a, in a bucket right there, there is no life in that. The life comes from the information. Where's the information come from? From an intelligent, loving being, namely God. Genetic information can't just, in nature, just spontaneously appear. Nor does matter or stuff itself operate itself into organizing itself into a higher form of complexity. Everything requires information. And the information's got to come from the outside. From the outside. From an intelligent, loving source, God. Now there really ought not be any uh, question about how the universe came into existence because it's all answered right there in Genesis 1.1. And I think that if scientists in today's world... If scientists were given the option, if there was a third option like, like uh, evolution, uh, God created, if there was some third option that scientists could have so they could 
boot evolution to the curb, they would. But, but most scientists are not going to embrace the only other option, which is God created, because there's accountability that comes along with God created. And that is intolerable to sinful man because the creator of the world is also the judge and the moral authority. And nobody wants that accountability. Now, <clears throat> Genesis 1-2 expands on verse 1. Verse 1 says God created the heavens and the earth. And then starting in verse 2, we find out how He does that. <clears throat> and I want to read about 20 verses to you, or, or with you. And uh, we're going to skip a verse here and there. And I, I want to read this. Uh, starting in in, uh, in verse 2, and I want you to look for a pattern. I want you to look for a pattern in these verses. So starting in verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. Verse 13, And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, <clears throat> Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done. Y'all, that was an accurate eyewitness account of the creation of the universe. And that creation account is laid out Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3. It covers everything. Everything. Everything that exists. Whether you're talking about black holes or galaxies or solar systems or whether you're talking about the smallest grain of sand at the beach. Whether you're talking about amoebas on, the, on our planet or whether you're talking about... Uh, uh, protozoa or, or, or absolutely every single thing was created by God. Visible things and invisible things. Time, energy, matter, all created. Every law that runs nature was created by God within the framework of that creation. All 
things. And then God says at the beginning of chapter 2, it's finished, it's over, creation is done and over with. That is the only eyewitness account of creation. Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3. And it's not allegory, it's not metaphor, it's not some fairy tale. There is absolutely nothing in the Hebrew text of Genesis that would indicate that it's some kind of an allegorical picture. It is purely expressed history from God written down by Moses. The Creator Himself gave Moses that accurate historical account. And we accept the Scripture as inspired, as infallible, as inerrant. There is nothing in that text to indicate it is anything other than history. And so it says in verse 1, in the beginning God created, it uses the word bara, is Hebrew, is, is to create. And it is used, it is to create ex nihilo. That's a Latin phrase that means out of nothing. From nothing. Bara in Hebrew is to create something out of nothing. To create something where before there was nothing. And it literally means that this infinite, eternal, personal, triune God of the, of the, of the universe, that He brought everything that we see in existence, everything that we don't see in existence, He did it all ex nihilo out of nothing. There's no pre-existent material. You've got to understand, evolution requires matter to have always existed. God created ex nihilo out of nothing. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith, we under, I wanna, we're going to look for a minute at what does the rest of the Bible say about this. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The things that we see in the created universe were not made from something else. They were made from nothing. Ex nihilo. Without pre-existing material. It's a way of saying that everything around you, everything around us, our body, the chair that you're sitting in, the, the trees, the flowers, the, the continent that we live on, everything that you see, everything that you can't see, dust, any arrangement of any kind of matter at all came into existence instantaneously out of nothing pre-existent. Because that's the way God created. It didn't come from things that do appear. It came from nothing. And the book of Genesis is the only account of that creation. So that begs the question, how do you do it? What method? And we've already suggested to you, and I feel like I've checked the box, we've already suggested that evolution was not the means that God used. And if we look back at the text that we read just a second ago, Verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, and God said, and God said, and God said. And verse 11, 14, 20, 24, and 26, and God said, and God said, and God said. Well, what was the method that He used? He spoke it into existence out of nothing. He willed it and He spoke everything into existence. And y'all, and I know that will numb your brain and I get that. This is a challenging series for us. This is challenging our, our intelligence a little bit. But y'all, this is God. It's God. And if you say you believe that Jesus really died on a cross, and if you say that you really believe that He was really dead, and if you say that you really believe that He got back alive and walked out of that cave, you really believe that He was really dead and you really walked out of that 
cave alive. And you really believe what the Scripture says, that, uh, that at some point the entire universe will be vaporized and there'll be a new heaven and there'll be a new earth. I can't imagine that you believe that it's going to be hundreds of billions of years for that new earth to evolve into whatever God said. No, I don't think that you would believe that. So if you believe all these other things and you believe that Jesus really rose from the dead, which would not be natural, right? It would be supernatural for that to have happened. That means something outside of a natural occurrence. So are you going to tell me the God that raised Jesus from the dead, the Father, raised Jesus from the dead, who is big and tough enough to save us, can't speak life into existence? Really? So he can do this, but he can't do that. And so you get to choose and pick and choose what it is that you believe. Look at what the Scripture says. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He spoke and it came to be. And so that's the psalmist that confirms the Genesis account of creation. This is where everything came from. It didn't exist. God willed it to exist. He spoke and poof, it came into existence. That is a divine account of creation. Mark chapter 13 talks about the beginning of the creation which God created. You have it all over the New Testament. You have it all over the Old Testament. That this emphasis on the God that created. Matthew 19.4. Now these are Jesus' words. The Jesus that if you are a believer, the Jesus that you profess belief in, He said, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And I don't think that we can reconcile belief in Jesus Christ and belief in evolution for a number of reasons, not the least of which is Jesus believed in creation, ex nihilo, out of nothing. And so that would make the Jesus that you profess to believe in a liar. And, and, and I hope that makes sense. But you can't profess to believe in Him but just some of the stuff He said. It doesn't make any sense. There's radical inconsistency in claiming to believe in the resurrected Christ and Darwinian evolution. Again and again, the Scripture makes reference to God as Creator. Romans 1, Paul says it, uh, that it's so evident, it's so evident that God is the Creator that you are without excuse. Colossians 1.16 says, By Him all things are created. Scripture continually affirms God as the Creator of everything. And that he, that he just willed it and spoke it into existence. Romans chapter 4, Paul's talking about Abraham. And he says, Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of, of the God in whom he believed. And then he describes who this God is, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. That's Romans four sixteen and 17. It says creation is God calling things into existence that don't exist. There is no room in there for evolution. Evolution is something appearing uh, that is mutated from something else. And that's not creation. And then, yes, at some point in, in eternity, the eternal God spoke everything into existence. Made up of components that had never before existed. So therefore, we would say the material um, space-time universe had an absolute beginning. He created time. It's so hard for us to understand that. T 
time and space and energy and matter were created from nothing. And so there was a beginning. This text says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go back to Genesis. That plain meaning is unmistakable. He created everything in the beginning. There was no stuff, no pre-existing material. And so nothing is in existence that He didn't create. John chapter 1, verse 3. Black and white, y'all. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. There isn't anything that exists that God did not create. So I'm, I'm going to give you two or three more things that just get it all up on the table uh, of the challenging stuff that we're talking about. Go back to Genesis 1 for a minute. All creation began and ended in six days. There, clearly there is no biblical argument against that. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, seventh day, and that's a seventh is a modifier for the word day. And so I'm going to come back to that in a second. On the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. He created the universe out of nothing, nothing preexistent, and He did it in six days. We know that from verse 5 of chapter 1, the first day what did He create? Light. And it says there was evening and there was morning one day. Just to make sure you don't miss it, He says one day. And then just to make sure that we get it, it was the kind of day He describes it had an evening and it had a morning. What kind of day is that? That's a solar day. It's a 24-hour, plain old, normal, common, everyday day. And I want to tell you, He did this creation in six of those things. Verse 8 says there was evening and morning, day 2. And then thir- verse 13, evening, morning, day 3. And then day 4, day 5, day 6. He's just talking about six normal, common days. Just like all of us understand days to be. Are you telling me that the, the, the God, that the that you believe everything else. You believe that He can do all these supernatural things, but He can't do that. That all of the textual evidence in the Bible, all of it in Genesis, says that this is a 24-hour day like virtually every other day mentioned in context in the Bible. The Hebrew word is yom. And you will have people that will tell you, well, yom, the word yom can mean an era. And that sounds so good. But every single time it's used in the Bible, it means a 24-hour day. So why would it mean a 24-hour day every other time, but just not in Genesis? Why, why would it be that way? That doesn't make any sense. So I'd ask you to consider that it's a 24-hour day. Now, if you don't believe the Bible, that's okay for now. If that's you, I just want you to consider it. Just consider it. Because I'm not really making scientific arguments. I'm making biblical arguments. But if you claim to believe the Scriptures, then you can't cherry-pick them. You can't cherry-pick them. Six days. The Bible always speaks of creation as a past event. Evolution always speaks of evolution as never-ending. There's not a hint of evolution anywhere in this chapter. There is no place for evolutionary theory to be hand-jammed down somewhere between day one and two. Like hundreds of billions of years are jammed down between 
verses 1 and 2. That's called day-age theory. It's a lie from hell because it didn't happen that way. <clears throat> and so you can't feed me some baloney like God plus evolution equals everything. Because it doesn't add up. Look at verse 31. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, He says it was very good. In the other days, He said it was good, but it's like God backs up for a minute when He's done, and He looks at all this creation, and everything is in perfect harmony. And He says, this, y'all, this is very good. You can hear Him saying that. What does that mean that it was very good? It means that it wasn't bad. It means that it wasn't inferior. It means that there was nothing jacked up about it. It was very good. Nothing didn't survive. It was very good. Nothing sort of like plants that you plant. Nothing died. It was very good. You know why nothing died? There was no death yet. You see, when God finished His creation, He looked at all of it. And it says several times it was good. But he looked at all over in verse 31. He says it was very good. Nothing didn't survive. Nothing had died out. If creation, he said it's very good. If, if creation had involved some kind of evolutionary process, then God would have had to look at it at that moment and said, I guess whatever survived was good or very good. But that's not what he said. He looked at everything that he created and he said it was very good. How could there have been billions and billions of evolving years, billions of years of struggle and death and survival of the fittest in a world where there was no curse yet? You understand that evolution is all about struggle. Struggle to survive and death and fighting. Because it's what? It's survival of the what? Of the fittest. So evolution totally involves that struggle. And you don't even have death until Genesis chapter 3. And so again, I'm saying, uh, I'm, I'm saying that you can't, you, you can't, I'm not telling you that you can't not believe the Bible. You've got to decide that for yourself for sure. But I'm saying it's radically inconsistent to say that you believe the Bible, that it is without error, that it is infallible, and you believe in evolution. That doesn't work. That's inconsistent. And, and the, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans uh, says it very succinctly that, that it was through sin that death entered the world. And there was no sin in that perfect creation. How do we know that? Because God looked at it and He said it was very good. There was no sin. If there was no sin, there couldn't be death. And so there's no place for plants and animals to die. No fall, no sin. No sin, no death, no death, no evolution. The fall came and introduced death, and death introduced the law of thermodynamics, entropy, the disintegration of matter. And at this point, none of that existed. <clears throat> so there is no way that you can legitimately uh, push evolution into that text. And because we're getting it all up on the table, get one more thing up there. God made everything, created everything, full grown. You know, which came first, chicken or the egg? The answer is the chicken came first. God didn't just throw seeds all over the ground and some unborn species eggs or something. He created everything completely full-grown, fully matured that was capable then of reproducing itself and sustaining life 
and he backs up and he says it is all very good because there was no sin and no death yet. And because of that, there was no restoration and redemption that was needed. There was perfect harmony in the garden. Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with the Lord. And then with a cataclysmic mistake, they sinned and that fellowship was broken. They didn't need restoration and redemption before that. Once sin entered, death entered. And they needed to be restored. It didn't sneak up on God when it happened. But He made restoration and He made redemption possible. As we sit here today, thousands of years later after that, restoration and redemption is needed. Somebody's here today that has never had that redemption and that restoration. And look, that sin that happened in that garden, your personal sin, it's got to be paid for. It's got to be paid for. And the Creator, here's what's so mind-blowing, y'all. The very One that created you, the very One that breathed life into you, the very One that spoke everything into existence, the very One that hung every star where He wanted the very one that took our planet and tilted it on its axis just perfectly. The one that took our planet and placed it just the right distance from the sun that it would be a little closer we'd burn up or a little farther away we'd freeze to death. The very one that hung it right there. He loves you enough, so much, that He jumped on the cross and died to take care of the sin that was busted and the relationship that was busted in that garden. Y'all, that is the most amazing, unexplainable thing, like, ever. And so, it's, and, and it's not some big complicated formula. I mean, we repent of our sin, we turn away from it, and we believe that the God of the universe died on the cross to pay that penalty for what I've done, what I'm doing, and what I will do. It's all taken care of. That is amazing grace, y'all, and that is the most amazing love ever. So if that happened for you today, if today's the day that you said, I do believe that and I do repent of my sin, then God saved you right here, right now, today, just like that. You walked in here lost and you left out of here a believer. You left out of here with a life that will be in eternity with the Lord. What a beautiful, unbelievable day that, that, that would be. <clears throat> So Lord, let me pray real quick. You know what? And I want to say one more thing. I don't know why. I really don't know why. But for the last 10 days or so, I have felt very much, and I'm not saying this like, ooh, I felt very much like we are under attack. Very much like our church family is under attack. And I'm not getting all crazy, y'all. I'm not. <clears throat> but we have had... Just, uh, it's, it's, it's been a season for the last two or three or four months of so much illness and so much people dying. And I get people die. I get that. Um, but tragic death, um, tragic illness, uh, cancer, mental illness stuff going on, just tons of, of things. And, <clears throat> And I think that if Satan's got you, he's not attacking you. So I think 
One of the reasons is there's kind of some good stuff going on in our church family. We're serving. And y'all, we need to be praying for each other. We do. This is the body of Christ. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be serving each other. Everybody in this church needs to be serving each other. The model Christ gave us, do you not think that that cross was an act of service? Are you kidding me? That's the model that He gave us. We need to be serving each other. And we need to be on our knees praying for each other every day. Because you know what? We live in a broken, fallen world and we need each other. Life is better together. Together. And so my commitment to you, and I'll confess to you right now, that there have been times where I said, I'll pray for you or I'll pray for you or I'll pray for you, and I didn't. You know what? That'll never happen again. If I say that I'm going to pray for somebody, I'm praying for them. And so my commitment is to pray for this church family every day. And all of us need to do that. So let me pray real quick.